Welcome to the anointed and transformational teaching ministry of Pastor Wale Akinshiku, Senior Pastor of House of Praise Mississauga, Canada, a parish of the Redeemed Christian Church of God. It is our prayer that as you listen to this message, that you will be empowered to achieve your dreams and fulfill your destiny. God bless you as you listen. Dimensions of prayer. We have looked at the dimension of petition very quickly. Which is the dimension most people are used to? When you ask average Christian, oh, I always say, I'm going through this, I'm going through that. So I've been, so Pastor, I've been praying, I've even been fasting. What they're really telling you is that they've been praying the prayer of petition. Somebody doesn't have a job, their whole prayer is, God help me, Lord, Father, give me joy, I just need a job, and there's nothing wrong in that. The, only, the scripture they're quoting is Matthew 7, 7, Matthew 7, 8. That's what they're quoting. Ask, and you shall be given. Father, your one says, ask, and it shall be given, and all that. And God says, absolute answer you. And you have God answer in heaven. But between the heaven and the earth, there is this thing called the heavenlies, where there is a battle going on. And I'm going to show you this. Whereby God says, Jesus said, whenever you stand praying, come on now, believe that you receive, then you will have. Jesus never promised us that believe that you have. He said, believe you receive, then you will have. The first step is what? Receive. Then what you have received, you must now have. This is theologically sound. For something to be theologically sound, it must transcend from the Old Testament into the New Testament for it to be theologically sound. The greatest validity on any theology is the preaching of Jesus. The statement of Jesus is the greatest validity on any theology. Okay, and we're going to talk about that in a, in a, in a minute. Then we've spoken about the prayer of gratitude, which we showed a little bit again now. Please, it's important, friends, that we should be showing God a lot of gratitude and not complain. Pastor Deboye, our general CIA, once said something that really struck me. He said, if you have many people in a place, everybody complaining about you, complaining about you. Everybody's complaining about you. You're bad. You're not doing this. You're not faithful. You didn't give me this. I asked you for this. You didn't do this. Then suddenly one person says, you know, I just want to tell you you're good. You know, your heart is going to be more predisposed to the one that is telling you you're good. It's only, isn't it unnatural? And is this true? Because we are created in the image of God. That's why we feel that way. Very important, sir. Very important. If you, if you buy, if you go to the Chinese store, I'm going to buy an iPhone 5 for your son. Because it's stopping you once a phone. What you really want is the iPhone 13. But you say, no, 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 this is what I got about. And you buy an iPhone 5 for him. The natural thing is for him to come back home and complain. And say, that is not what I want. Look at it. But if he says, oh, dad, thank you so much. You are so good. First, you're already feeling guilty. <laughs> is that not true? You're already feeling bad. You're feeling bad. Then you, th- you think that, okay, after maybe 30 minutes, you, you, you overcome your guilt. He sees the following morning. He says, dad, good morning, dad. I just want to say thank you so much. Thank you for the phone. I really appreciate it. You know, three days ago, Dad, I didn't have a phone. Now at least I have something to call. I'm able to call my friends. Thank you very much. When you're driving to work, you say, oh, God. At work, he sends you a text. Dad, I'm actually using the phone. Thank you so much for the phone. <laughs> you know, the next thing you're going to go on the internet. You start looking for iPhone 13. 
If iPhone 5 can bring this level of gratitude, what will iPhone 13 do for this boy? Then you come back one, and you come back, you're about to eat. He meets you at your car. You get, Dad, can I get a bag for you? Dad, and Dad, do you want some water just before you, just to sit down? You can say, Dad, by the way, Dad, thank you again for that phone. You call him back, he says, please come here. What do you say is the latest phone again? He says 13. He says, no, 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 it can't be 13. Tell me what is the latest. He says, okay, it's 13. He says, well, I promise you this. Anytime the latest will come, will come out, forever and ever, I will buy you the phone. That's what God did to Abraham. That's what God did to Abraham. God said, in blessing, I will bless you. The Bible said God was only to swear. But he had to swear for Abraham. He said, for every other person, I've given them a promise. Some are giving conditional promise. But for you, Abraham, in blessing, I will swear, it's all over. There are certain things that we do, particularly when we express the new gratitude to God. Please, you will never, and I will never get to a point in our lives when we will not have something Satan can point to to make us complain. Satan will always have something he can point to. If your whole life is perfect, it will point to your brother. And say, look at, your life is perfect, but are you not your brother's keeper? Look at that, your sister. If all of your siblings are okay, say, what about your cousin? If your cousins are okay, what about your neighbor? You know, Satan will always find somebody he can point to, to try and steal your job. Okay? But you, if, you, if you come out of the house, everything is fine. If you come out of the house, and you're going to the gas station, you say, look at, gas prices is up. He will find something to stress you. You have to let him know, shut up. Shut up. So prayer of gratitude is another dimension of prayer. It's very powerful. It's not a weak dimension of prayer. It's very powerful. The Bible says in Psalm 149 verse 3, it said, let them praise him with a dance. Psalm 149 verse 3, NKJV. Let them praise him. Come on, look at that now. With a dance. Let them sing praises to him with timbrel and harp. Basically means with instruments. Verse 4, it says in verse 4, the Lord takes pleasure. He takes pleasure. Then verse 5, it says, let the saints be joyful. Let them be joyful. Cast away the depression. Let them be joyful in glory. Come on now, let them do what? You can't even say it aloud. Let them do what? Sing aloud! It is not sing aloud. That's not what they say. I don't know how you're reading the scripture this way. Do I have believers in your house? <laughs> Please, let me say something to you. I beg you. I know you very well. Please, don't let prosperity take your voice of praise. Yeah. You have, God has prospered you. It's lifted you. And that's great. Please, don't let it take your voice of praise. Read the scripture the way the scripture is. Let them do what? Sing aloud. Aloud means it has to disturb your neighbor. Your neighbor must be a bit bothered. Let them sing aloud. He said on their bed. That means even bed here is not talking about when you're sleeping. He's talking about when things are not working. When you're idle, things are not working, you don't have a job. When you're sick, he said, but sing aloud, even on the bed. Why? He said then, let's verse 6. He said, let the high praises of God. Come on, beware now. Then they say, a two-edged sword suddenly enters into their hand. And now what happens there with that two-edged sword? It was a good vengeance on the nation. Now, watch this now. Punishment on the people. Keep going then. Bind the kings with chains, nobles with fellows of iron. Keep going then. To execute what? There is a written judgment against the enemy that cannot be executed. It cannot be activated until they suddenly sing aloud. High praise. So your depression or lack of singing 
is keeping the executed the written judgment sealed. It's keeping it sealed. I said that and say, it doesn't matter whether there's judgment against me or not. It's sealed. Nobody's reading it. Nobody's executing it. It doesn't make, change any difference. If they say this person is fired from this piece of work and nobody's ever executed on that, the person is still working. Don't let Satan continue to continue, con- receive salary from you. Sing aloud! Somebody shout, God is good! Kamala Maroma Scaliana. Father, let your people be delivered from strange serenity. Somebody shout, God is good! I like that. I like that. God is good. God is good. You know, God is good. God is good. I'm going to bother you a little bit over these next seven weeks, my brothers. Uh, maybe we might fight a little bit, but we're going to, you know, the Bible says forgive. Those that offend you, and we're going to be friends. Sir, you used to shout, God is good, a lot 10 years ago. You still do. Ah, before, if anything in the Bible, you, even when I'm not preaching along those lines, even when I'm preaching that Jesus is coming soon, God is good. <laughs> eh, my brother, ah, that's how you didn't have a pocket square in your pocket. <laughs> but now you have a pocket square. So if you really shout, the thing might fall off. But my brother, listen to me very carefully. <laughs> uh, this is not for pro- prosperity now. This is for posterity. I need two people to shout, God is good. Come on! God is good! Ah. Ah. It's good! It's good! That's right. Please take your seat. Let's put the devil to shame. Let the devil be bothered for once. Let the devil be on the defense. God is God. And his mercies endure it. Say, well, Pastor, you don't even know what's going on with me. I don't have a job. God is God. Pastor, my, I'm feeling sick in my body. God is God. I don't have a wife. God is God. I don't have a child. God is God. I can't put food on my table. God is God. I don't have a house. Let the devil be put to shame. God is God. Shut up, Satan. My God is a good God. So you have the prayer of gratitude, prayer of petition. Last week we looked at spiritual warfare, didn't we? Then we looked and we said spiritual warfare takes place where now? On these three levels. Come on, come on where? Heavenlies. Then we spoke about the prayer of declaration. Where you need to declare certain things. Today I want to speak to you because we're going to look at this as part of what we're doing. And it's called the prayer on the altar. We're going to look at another dimension. We're going to look at two more dimensions today. The prayer on what? And someone was well, what is all of this? You know, Jesus spoke about it in Matthew, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, Jesus said, whenever you have a gift and you bring it to the altar, if you think that somebody has something against you, say, go to the person, make sure you sort out that offense, then you come back and offer your gift on the altar. Jesus preached about the altar. There is something about the prayer on the altar. 
I won't go into too much details on this. I'll jump. The reason is because that is going to be my title on Friday. The mystery of the altar. That's what I'm preaching on. Throughout on, on Friday. And we're going to deal with certain issues. There are people, no matter where they have gone to, they have been drawn back by certain altars that have been raised against their destiny. So you're going to, I'm going to walk you through some, but not all. There are seven different types of altars in the Bible and you have to deal with them. Okay? Of course, the highest level of the altar, the highest altar mentioned in the whole Bible is the altar called Calvary. That's where the ultimate sacrifice was sacrificed. Calvary, Calvary in Latin, Golgotha in Greek, where Jesus died. That is the biggest altar. Is anybody still in this house? But I'll speak a lot more about this. But it's important for you to understand that there's a dimension of prayer, ma'am, where you stand by your sacrifice. You put your sacrifice on the altar. Psalm 126, verse 5 and 6. Psalm 126, verse 5 and 6. Let's look at it quickly, then I'll get into the other dimension I want to talk about today. Those who saw in tears shall reap in joy. The next verse, please. He who continually goes forth, weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again rejoicing. What? Shall what? Doubtless. Doubtless. Why? Because there is a turnaround. Verse 1 and 2. When the Lord turned the captivity of Zion, who were like those who were dreaming. Who were like those who were dreaming. There are certain things that happen to you. Now you pray. Kajama kwami Prayer at the altar. Somebody said, well, is Jesus not our ultimate sacrifice? I bet you he is. Ephesians 5 verse 2 tells us Jesus is our sacrifice. Okay? Our sacrifice for us. 1 Corinthians 5 7 tells us Jesus is our Passover sacrifice for us. There is no doubt Jesus was sacrificed for us. So what is our own sacrifice doing there? I'm glad you asked. Our own sacrifice sometimes then is to is to Put execution to the completion of the work of Christ. To put execution to it is to activate that sacrifice. But I won't go into too much of it now. You'll get to understand that more. Today I want to speak about the second dimension of prayer. I will elaborate on that today. It's called, it's in James chapter 5, verse 15. James chapter 5, verse 15. We're going to look at it in two translations. First translation, NKJV. Second translation, NIV. James chapter 5, verse 15. Please pay attention. And let's start from verse 14, please. Let's start from verse 14. James 5, 14. Thank you. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15, pay attention, please. And the prayer, prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. You know, it's amazing. Many years ago, the way from preachings I've had, and I have preached it several times myself, I thought that the prayer of faith is this. In fact, I could quote this scripture and pray, simple prayer. Because the prayer of faith is supposed to be Somewhere in my head, I just thought the prayer of faith is you lay on somebody and just pray a simple prayer, and that's the prayer of faith. I believe. But 
Look at this in NIV. Look at what it says in NIV translation. If you have NIV, look at what it says. He said, among you sick, let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Look at the next verse. And the prayer what? So it's not the prayer of faith. It's the prayer offered in faith. So what then is the prayer offered in faith? Which we also call the prayer of faith. Because that's another dimension of prayer. What is this prayer? First, let me explain to you quickly that the prayer of faith is the prayer, listen carefully, that touches these three realms. The prayer of faith touches the heaven, the prayer of faith touches the heavenlies, and the prayer of faith touches the earth. The prayer of petition touches only the heaven, but it's a good prayer. That's where to start. The prayer of petition touches the heaven. Spiritual warfare doesn't touch heaven. Spirit, because there's nothing, you're not fighting God. Spiritual warfare touches where? Heavenlies. But the prayer of faith touches the tree. It touches heaven, it touches the heavenlies, and it touches the earth. So the prayer of faith, please note this then, has three components. How many components? Write this down, then I'm going to try and unpack it. Number one, the prayer of faith, the first component of the prayer of faith is conviction. Conviction. Not confusion. Convict. Conviction. You're convinced. Convinced in your heart. You're persuaded. Or fully persuaded. Conviction. Second component of the prayer of faith, confrontation. Confrontation. And the third component, corresponding action. So let's go, let's go back to it again. The first component of the prayer of faith is conviction. Conviction. The second component of the prayer of faith is what? Confrontation. What is it? Confrontation. And the third component is what? Corresponding action. All right, so let's unpack this. Now, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, let's talk about conviction for a minute, shall we? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5, the Bible says that our word did not come to you, but in word only. Our gospel did not come to you, but in word only. But notice this now. In power, in the Holy Spirit, come on now, what's the next thing? In much what? Assurance. In much what? Assurance. Please say with me one more time. In much what? Assurance. That is talking about conviction. When you are at the point whereby you are assured, you are not doubting. Nobody can make you doubt it. Much assurance. So how does that happen? Listen carefully. That happens. You know, you see some people, they're having the same Bible in front of them. But they still can't believe it. And some people have read it they believe it completely. Nobody can shake it out of them. What's the difference? It is when you get to the point of conviction, when the Holy Spirit 
takes the scripture and converts it to picture. Listen carefully to me. Takes the scriptures and converts it to what? Pictures. Because you can doubt what you hear, but you can't doubt what you have seen. Please pay attention to what I'm saying. Okay? The Holy Spirit takes the words and converts them into pictures. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 1. First and foremost, just stay with me, walk with me. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 1 says, I will stand my watch, set myself on the rampart, and look at what it says now. I will watch. Watch what? To see, come on, speak to me now. To see what he will say. Now, now, now. Grammatically, that is not looking right. You don't watch to see what somebody will say. You listen to hear what the person will say. If my wife is calling me now, hey, pastor, pastor, where are you? I say, oh, no, no, no. I'm talking to pastor. He's telling me some things. I'm listening I'm to hear what he's telling me. But Habakkuk said, no, 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 no. What God the Father is saying through words Okay? God, the Holy Spirit, is not allowing the words to get to me. He's arresting the words before it gets to me and converting them to pictures and sending the pictures to me. So what I am getting are pictures. What the Father is saying are words. But the Holy Spirit that is here on earth is intercepting the words, knowing that I might doubt it changing them to pictures that I cannot doubt. So, one of the key ministries of the Holy Spirit, Jesus taught us, in John chapter 16, alright, in John 16, 13, KJV, okay, I don't usually go to KJV, but I'm going there today. KJV, it says, how be it, look at that, <laughs> What was the last time you wrote a letter to somebody and you put this? How be it, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, that's the Holy Spirit now, he will guide you, come on, into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatever he hears, that's what I just told you right now. Whatever he hears, what happens? But how will he speak it to you? He will show you. That's what I just told you right now. He's not speaking of himself, but whatever he hears, the Father said, Ah, he said, no, no, these people can't handle that. They will doubt. So he takes what the Father has said and show you. So you are saying, I want God to speak to me. Technically, it is true. God has spoken. But you need to allow the Holy Spirit to show you what he has said. That's when you don't doubt. This is very important. This is, that's why Jesus said it is to your advantage that I go. Because if I don't go, you won't have this advantage of conversion of words to pictures. It is the Holy Spirit that helps you convert it. You know, this, this was many years ago now. Maybe about close to 10 years ago. About 10 years ago. One day I was reading my Bible. And I got to Acts chapter 1 verse 3. Acts chapter 1 verse 3. Yeah. Then the Bible says, after Jesus resurrected, he presented himself alive. And after his suffering by many infallible proofs, he was seen for how many days? 40 days. Then the Bible said he was speaking to them things pertaining of the kingdom of God. And I have the audacity, I don't know where I got it from. And I asked, I asked, I said, Holy Spirit, what is it that Jesus was telling these people for these 40 days? I want to know. 
It's not, I know you didn't write it in the Bible like that, but the Bible gives us an idea. He said he was speaking about the kingdom of God. I want to know. So, I didn't hear anything. A few days later, I opened my Bible again as I was reading. I heard the word. Follow me to Galilee. Am I going to follow you? I mean, Miss Saga. Then, the Holy Spirit interpreted it for me and said, Take your Bible and follow Jesus through the streets of Galilee. Just follow him. You know, that simple instruction. I took my Bible and I started following Jesus' ministry through the gospel, where he was going. The amazing thing is that when the Bible will say, and he went to Genezareth, and he entered the boat, suddenly it will be like I was with him. Or he entered the house and he wanted nobody to know it. Like in Mark chapter 7, it says that. It will be like I was in, with him in the house. And he, he saw, one place he says, he entered the synagogue, Mark chapter 3. And he saw a man with a withered hand. It was like I was seeing a picture. It was almost like if I see the man on the street in heaven, I can tell the man, ah, you're that man. I could see. It was clear to me. You see, this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Converting, showing you pictures of what God is saying. Why is this important? Acts chapter 4 Verse 19 and 20. Acts of Apostles chapter 4. Verse 19 and 20. Peter and John answered and said to him, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, they're talking to some people that are telling them to shut up. You judge. Look at verse 20. We cannot but speak. Come on, of the things which we have seen and the things what? In Samaria, when Philip was preaching, the people were so blown away. Why were they so blown away? The Bible said he preached Jesus to them. What was the big deal? He's preaching salvation. What was the big deal? Acts chapter 8 verse 6 tells us the big deal. Acts chapter 8 verse 6. The multitudes with one accord, they heeded what he was saying. Why? They were hearing and they were doing what? That's what they believed. They were hearing and they were that's why verse 19, the sorcerer that was in the place says, give me this power also. Verse 19, give me this power also. Because he also was hearing, come on now, and many Christians hear, but they don't see. That's why they doubt. That's why they doubt. There's one woman that was trusting God, she, was, she had fibromyalgia, and she was trusting God for healing. And Jesus healed me, Jesus healed me, and all of that. And Jesus wanted to really, really show her. One day while she was praying, in the afternoon, young girl, a man, she just saw in a vision. A man just came in. A man just came in. The man was dressed, not the way we dress her today, but he had this, um, like, a, like what you call like a garment on, that had this little... Um, Thing like, like, like a, like if not a, like a, like a bow, or like a, you know, on the two shoulders, and walk up to her. She said nobody told her. Well, the minute the man walked up to her, she could tell that this is Jesus. So and she was asking, why have you not healed me? And she said, just the man was just full of so much love. She just could tell her this is Jesus. This is Jesus. This is my Savior. This is my Lord. Then he said, the man did not say a word. The man just turned and turned to her and opened up the bow on the cloth and the cloth fell to the floor and he saw his back. 
and some wounds, very deep wounds. He said each one was very deep. You could put your finger in it. And he said, I did all of this for you. And then the man walked out. Once she saw that, she, was, she saw it, that it is not something I'm asking God for. I was going to say something here that will sound very controversial and some of you might think this is extreme blasphemy. But just be careful. I'm going to take time to explain later on. Excuse me, sir. God is no longer healing anybody today. You see, I told you this is going to sound like blasphemy. Because he healed everybody already. There are many people today, son, that are now taking their healing, but it's no longer baking the bread. Just because you go to the bakery or go to the store and buy the bread, does not mean they just book, they just did it. It's no longer coming from the oven. The oven has done its job. It is now the store that is doing its job. Jesus has done his part. It's now the Holy Spirit implementing what Jesus did. Father, heal me. Yes, I did 2,000 years ago. For he said, bear our sins in his own body. By whose stripes? 1 Peter 2, 24. We're healed. Excuse me, sir. Inside that stripes is every kind of sickness. He took it for you. He took it for you. Now, 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 now. You've got to listen to this now. Matthew chapter 8, verse 17. Matthew 8, 17. And I'm sure you went to school, so you know this. That it might be fulfilled by the prophet Isaiah. Come on now, speak to me. What's going to be fulfilled by prophet Isaiah? That he himself... Please speak to me, you went to school. He himself... So he took my infirmity. And he did what? He bore. He took it. I said he took it. I like the energy. I said he took it. So he took it. Satan, what is wrong with you? Do, he took it. Why are you bringing it back to me? Sir, let's assume they collect the garbage in front of your house every Tuesday. So here you are, you broke out the garbage. I mean, and I know you, my brother. You, you've really given full expression to the grace of God over the week in terms of your food. You know? <laughs> Hallelujah. The people that designed the garbage collection, they didn't plan for immigrants. Trust me. They planned it only once a week. If they knew you were coming to this country, it would have been twice a week they would be taking this thing. Because we tend to generate a bit more. True? It's true, it's true. They didn't plan it. But anyway, let's start for another, another conversation. So you put this outside on the Monday. You put it outside. The car came. You had the truck. You know, sometimes you find that you, you, when, you, when they didn't take it, You'll be saying, has the truck come? Did, uh, have they not come? That means you didn't see. But you saw them. You saw them. You looked out from your window and you saw them. They picked it and put it in the truck and left. Suddenly down the road, there's one man that's just not like you. He now looks, he looks around, he looks around. He thinks that you have left. You are not paying attention. He drags his own garbage. Drags it, drags it, drags it. Who's in front of your house? If you didn't see the truck, 
you will be saying to yourself, if your wife is asking, ah, didn't you say you put the garbage out early in the morning? You say, I did. I don't know. I don't know why these people are not coming. They have been late. You go back inside the house. You pick the phone. You start calling the, gar- the local government. Excuse me, um, they've not picked up my garbage. I live on number uh, 3105 Dixie Road. Yeah, yeah, the garbage. Yeah, I've been, it's been out since 6 a.m. in the morning. I even came out in the snow. Please, can you send somebody? I don't know what's going on here. You'll be arguing. And God is saying, what is wrong with this man? And they're telling you that. We've been tracking it. They were in your house at 615. They took it. So, but because you saw them, you don't need to make that phone call. You saw them when they picked it. Then you go outside and say, ah, no. This garbage is not my garbage. Shaka nakoma sakalaya. This garbage is not my garbage. Kama tu antelisia. Whoever brought this bag here, you're going to take this bag now because this bag is not my bag. Somebody say, it's not my bag. This is not my bag. You command. And they take them. The person say, hey, excuse me, excuse me. And it depends on what you are saying. You don't say, oh, I don't know who we'll keep on putting this bag here. Why are you putting it here? No. You might have thought you brought one bag here, but seven bags will enter your bedroom. You better say, hey, hey, please, I don't need seven bags. Let me come and take my bag. You take the bag. I decree concerning you now, whatever baggage anybody has left in your life, that ought not to be there. I command it to be removed now in Jesus' name. I command it to be removed right now in Jesus' name. Conviction, conviction. You have this conviction. This is what gives you conviction. Now, listen to me now. This conviction is what makes you bold when you stand before God to make a request because you know you have a right to be there. You know, you know, you know there is something God has built into man called conscience that is like a justice system that tells you you don't have a right to be here. Sometimes because of our conscience, the Bible says if our conscience condemns us, God is greater than our conscience. So sometimes you want to stand before God and pray, not these timid prayers we pray. Oh God, I know you can do all things, but God, just give me a small job in the city as you can see my children are dying. God, what are you... These are all TV prayers. And Satan is saying, you're suffering for your sins. Satan is telling you, you ought not to be there. The reason why this is happening to you is that you never listen to anybody. And you, you start feeling, oh, God, okay, God, if it's every sin I've committed, oh, and the more you get sin conscious. Satan said, you see, I've been telling you, you have confessed seven, there's still eight more. <laughs> How many are you going to confess, my brother? Listen to me very carefully. Listen. What allows you to go before God is righteousness, consciousness. Sir, I have a right to be there. I said, I have a right to be there. Oh, don't get me wrong. God is awesome. God is powerful. God is almighty. He's the king of kings, lord of lords, and all of that. But I have a right to be in his presence. You know, you know, you know, you know, your children, <laughs> you know, it's amazing how, how our children Right, how our children will come back to you and say, Dad, Grandpa is so sweet. <laughs> say, Grandpa is so nice. Dad, can I call Grandpa again? Can I call Grandma again? They're so nice. And you're saying to yourself, Which Grandpa is nice? 
if you know this person you're calling grandpa, <laughs> this grandpa was not that nice to me. But they are so nice. You know, and there are some of us that, the way we grew up, you still have this thing in your heart. When, I mean, when you, see how your, when you see how your dad's voice, you are just, you still adjust. When your dad says, hey, cool, hey. Yes, sir. But you know, your children don't have those inhibitions. When I see the young people, they say, oh, Dad, your belly is a bit big now. You go to him and say, Hey, hey. And the, your dad, you know, the amazing part of it is that your dad says, Your dad says, Leave him, leave him, leave him now. He's playing. Ah, playing. <laughs> eh, playing. He cannot even enter my head to crack some jokes with my dad. I can't even have anybody that put that idea into my head. Get deep behind me, Satan. He can't enter my head. But they, they play, they do that. And the grandpa, the grandpa is sweet. Why? Because they don't have sin consciousness. They have righteousness consciousness. They have a sense that you said, this is my grandpa. This is your dad. That means it's my grandpa. That's all they need. For as many as believed in him, to them he gave the right. That's what they see. They can be the right. You are seeing punishment. They are seeing rights. So they walk on and say, Grandpa, Grandpa, you know the amazing part of it is that maybe sometimes your dad is a little bit, is feeling tired. You know, they're getting a bit old. And you're saying, Dad, maybe you want to go and take a nap in the bedroom. And so on. Then your son walks in and says, Grandpa, can you just play a game with me? And you say, No, Grandpa is tired. Let Grandpa go and say, Grandpa says, No, I will play the game. Ah. And you're saying to yourself, I can't even, I don't even have the boldness to ask. It's true. To him that asks, receive. You have not because you ask not. And you can't ask because you have these inhibitions in your heart. Let us come boldly to his throne of grace. Come boldly to his throne of grace. I'm not coming, I'm not standing in front of you, almighty God, based on what I've done, I've not done. I fasted for seven days. I fasted 21 days. I fasted 30 days. That's not why I'm here. That's not what brought me here. That's not what gives me my confidence of standing here. I'm standing here, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, based on the authority of the blood. For God to send me out, he will have to send Jesus out of heaven. I'm going to repeat that so that you can think it's blasphemy. For God to send you out, he will have to repudiate the finished work of Christ. Justice was satisfied. That's why Jesus said it is finished. And he said, my father, my father, why have thou forsaken me? He said that so that he would not forsake us. Why? Because he made, he made him who knew no sin to become sin for you. So that you might become, come on now, the, not that you might become righteousness, that you might become the what? Righteousness of God. How will God send out his own righteousness? That means God will be convicting himself. I'm standing here, king of glory. I thank you for the finished work of Christ. Thank you for the blood that brings me into your presence. I appreciate that blood. As I stand there today, Lord, I thank you for what manner of love is this that you have bestowed upon me that I should be called a child of God. For you made him wound no sin to become sin for me. That I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He came to his own, his own did not receive him. But as you have given me the grace that I have received you, you have given me the right to come into your presence. Thank you, Heavenly Father. You say that now? When you are convinced about this, then you stand in the presence. Father, you are the Almighty God. I know there's nothing you can do. You see, your prayer is changed. It changes now. You need to have this conviction. 
Now, listen carefully now. Let me, let me wrap up on this conviction idea. Listen, you cannot, you cannot be convinced on any issue on the Bible based on one or two verses. This is where the problem is, sir. People quickly open to one or two verses and they want to be convinced. They want to have your level of conviction on that they will get a good job. Somebody say, well, you're praying for open doors. Go and look at, um, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, that behold, see, I've said before you are an open door, which no man can shut. You say, hey, Revelation chapter 3, verse 8. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <coughs> Revelation 3, 8. Revelation 3, 8. I said, I said, I said, I said, I said. You can't be convinced. One verse, two verses can't convince you. Three verses can't convince you. So, so, so how many verses will convince you? I'm glad you asked. It's not, listen carefully, it's not the number of verses. It is the systematic outlay of the verses. Luke chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. Look at it now. Let's look at it together. Pay attention. Look at it on the screen. Inasmuch as many people have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, Let's do this now. Keep going, please. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the world delivered to us, pay attention now. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the first to write to you. Okay, what does you want to write now? Come on, I can't hear you, church. Orderly account. What is this orderly account going to produce? Verse 4 certainty, conviction. Because people don't have an orderly account on the topic, they can't have certainty. The only way to have certainty on any subject is to have a what? Orderly account. So when you tell people, uh, we're doing a school of um, fruitfulness, I'd like you to come. It's a four-week course, so that you can believe, mm, I just need somebody to just lay hands on me. You are going to still doubt because you can never have certainty because you don't have an orderly account all it the way it's going to be set up in your heart. Oh, healing school, will you come? Mm, Pastor, I don't know. I just don't want to speak into my life. This is the problem of Christians. That's why there's no conviction because there's no orderly account. But if you come to me now and talk to me now about healing, talk to me about fruitfulness, talk to me about open doors now, I can tell you why for sure. I know the door has to open. Someone say, but how can you be presumptuous? You call it presumptuous because you don't have the knowledge. Whatever you don't, area where you have knowledge gap, you will think it's presumption when you see somebody else. If my grandmother was to wake up on the grave now and says, put on the TV, and sees me go to the back of my room, back of the room, and take one little device like this, and say, Grandma, what channel do you want? She says, uh, I just want to watch uh, any program, a news. I said, okay, and I'm taking the... He said, what are you trying to do? You think you can put on the TV from that place? Okay, she thinks I'm being presumptuous. And if I go, come to this man's house now, where everything in his house is voice activated. Hallelujah. And I said, uh, hey, nice, please, can you... Uh, if you don't mind, I want to watch CNN and see what's going on. And Kule said, oh, all right, okay, Pastor. And he sits down where he's sitting. And I said, what kind of, what kind of man is this? Well, I said, what is he want to put on the TV? And it's not, it's not doing anything. Then all of, all of a sudden, it just gives a command. It just says, Alexa, 
CNN. Then I just, the thing just changes to CNN. I say, hey! You know, it's, it's my knowledge gap. You know. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because this man's house is completely quiet. And if I now, if the man now says, Pastor, excuse me, Pastor, a minute, I'm going to the washroom. He goes to the washroom. Now, because I didn't really know what he did. He just goes to the washroom. And I say to myself, I look around. His wife is not coming. I go. And I sit where he's sitting. I move the chair. And the TV doesn't because I'm guessing now, you see. That's what happens to many Christians. So I try the name of Jesus. It didn't work. I tried the blood of Jesus. It did not work. What's that prayer? Pastor prays again. Fire. It didn't work. Then I said, what's the opposite? Alex. Alex, CNN. It didn't work. Alexandra. Alexandra. It didn't work because, because you are guessing. You are trying everything out. Then the man comes back there, finds it, oh, Pastor, what are you doing? Ah, oh, I said, oh, sorry, I was just trying to put on the seat. Oh, he said, oh, no, Pastor. To my amazement, he doesn't sit down again. Where is he? Said, oh, Pastor, what was they trying to do? I said, oh, it's BBC, I want to watch myself. Alexa, BBC. He changed, he said, eh. so it's not sitting down. If you're not careful, then you go out and you tell people that it's not in sitting down, that it can only happen when you stand up. Somebody else that came before will say it can only happen when you sit down. And go to the furniture shop and buy that kind of seat. That's what we Christians do. We never have an orderly account. We are guessing. So you face the situation and say, in the name of Jesus, Jesus' name, above every name, go. The thing is looking at him. Ah, is the name of Jesus not supposed to be above every name? Didn't he say in my name, something in a place in the Bible, there, he says something, they will go. He said, you should go. The thing is, I'm going nowhere. Then somebody says, another person comes and says, overcome by the blood. He said, yes, I put blood on Jesus on you. The thing is looking at you. What's the next thing? What's that thing again that pastor says? We're all guessing. There's no accuracy. There's no conviction. So friends, orderly account. That's why we listen to the word. You, an orderly account. Somebody say orderly account. Why should the door open to you? Why should the door open to you? First and foremost, you have, before you understand why the door should open, you must understand why the door closed. In the Garden of Eden, there was a door, but Adam never saw it because it was irrelevant for him to see it. God never bothered to show him the door. God showed him the tree. He didn't show him the door. He didn't show him the entrance because it was in the middle at the beginning. And God told him, it's this tree. He showed him tree. He didn't show him the entrance of the garden. Because Adam never came into the garden. Adam started from the middle of the garden. That's why man is confused about where the door is. Because in your original creation, you never came into a door. Into the garden of Eden. So the first thing man knew was the closed door, not an open door. So when God sent him out, he wanted to go back in. Cherubims, invisible forces, were pushing him back from the door to the garden. So he said, so there was a door here. I didn't know. Is anybody still in the house? 
So the very first door in the Bible was actually closed by angels, not by demons. But we now see something that these same two cherry booms that were using flaming swords are the ones that are now bound before blood. Called the mercy seat or the seat of atonement or the seat of propitiation where the divine anger has been appeased. So when divine anger is appeased by blood, the cherubim that ought to be blocking the door, they bow. How much more the demons? Are you following another account? Sir, are you following this story? So, cherubim, you're not allowing me to go in. Really? Okay. Christ himself has become my Passover. By reason of the Passover lamb, even Pharaoh had to let them go. Cherubim must let them come in. By reason of the blood, the veil tore from the top to the bottom. This door you have to open. I come against you by the blood of the Lamb. So the door understands that you know what you're saying, that he has to open. Because when Jesus had to go to back to heaven, is anybody here? This is not part of what I'm preaching, but I'm just giving you some, some little things. When he had to go back to heaven, prophetically, Psalm 24 says, lift up your heads, O ye gates. The gate says, why? He said, but you lift it up. Oh, you have everlasting doors. That means those doors, they don't run on battery. They will be there forever. The doors answer back and say, who are you? He said, this is the king of glory. The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Now, this is what happens then. In theology, there's something called the argument of the greater to the lesser. If everlasting doors open at the recognition of the finished work of Christ, are you following now? If everlasting doors open, then any door on the earth for our light affliction is but for a moment. Every momentary door can also open. So you come against it by that authority. In the name of he that the everlasting door answered to, you have to answer to me. You see the convictions now? You have to understand this thing a bit deeper than you're understanding it now. Orderly account is what gives you the conviction. So when your wife is asking, you know, this is the conviction Elijah had. He said, the rain is coming. Go and look at it. That man came back and said, oh, sir, there's nothing. Elijah did not. Elijah, go back. Keep going back until you see something. He said, sir, won't you go and ask God if he's still going to send the rain? Elijah said, what nonsense? He has said he's sending the rain. You go back. I'm telling you he's sending the rain. I know he's sending the rain. If he sent fire, he will send rain. The one that sent fire is the one that sent it. The fire that sent the fire means the rain is coming. Let's quickly look at this. Do we still have a few minutes? Conviction is the first one. Number two, confrontation. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. So we're looking at Ephesians 6.12. Quickly let me go through this. The Apostle Paul teaches that confrontation is necessary to maximize and fulfill our potential. Apostle Paul teaches that. James chapter 4 verse 7. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will run away in terror from you. First Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant for your adversary, the devil. Goes about as a roaring lion looking for whom to devour. Resist him steadfastly. Okay, that's the apostolic teaching. What about the teaching of Jesus? Now, you listen to this, my son. Jesus' teaching 
Look at what Jesus said. Mark 3.27. Mark chapter 3, verse 27. Look at what Jesus said. Nobody. The pastor of the church, nobody. Bishop, nobody. Newly born again, nobody enters a strong man's house and plunder means take whatever he wants of his goods. Except he was, it is the order of possession. That is the first principle of possession. First binding. But which house are we going to now? Sorry, which house are we going to now? Okay, I want you to follow this now. Matthew 12, 29. Jesus is still speaking. How can somebody enter a strong man's house, plunder his goods, unless he what? First. So it's not a mistake. First binds him. But you remember, Luke said he was going to give us the what? Orderly account. He said, I'm going to give you an accurate, he said, I have a perfect understanding. That's what Luke said. So let's look at the Luke's rendition. Luke 11:21. 21. The person that has accurate, because these other people, they missed out something. Look at what he said. <laughs> look at what Luke said. In Luke eleven twenty one. 21, when a strong man, fully armed. You know, Mark and Matthew, they didn't tell us that. Now, this strong man, you don't just go there and buy it. He said, it's what? This is the one from Africa. Fully armed. Fully armed. If you're going to approach him, he said, let me warn you, he's fully armed. Not just a little bit armed. He's fully loaded. Armed. He said, he said his palace, his goods, are peace. In other words, you're not disturbing him with the, with the type of prayers you've been praying. The part of prayers you've been praying is not touching him. The goods, where did he get his goods from? We know, we know where he got it from. Because Luke chapter 4, his, 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 his boss, the devil, told us, he said, it was delivered to me. He's the thief. He stole it. So the Bible said, those goods are at peace because it's what? Fully? Oh, speak to me now, somebody. So the prayers we have been praying, it's not been disturbing him. It's fully armed. We need to change the type of prayers we've been praying. Some things that are fully armed, Goods are at peace. Nothing is happening, my son. Please stay with me for another 5 minutes in this sermon. Listen to me. So what are we going to confront? Write it down, write it down. Three things we're going to confront. To change the game. How many people here want to change the game? Three things we're going to confront. Some of these things you already know. One, we must confront demonic spirits. Acts chapter 16, verse 16 to 18. Acts 16, 16 to 18. We must confront demonic spirits. In some situations, the situations are easier. It's just a demon that is one demon, two demons, seven demons dealing with an individual here on earth. That's the, sim- that's the simplest of issues to deal with. In my name, you shall cast out devils. Simple. But the second thing we must destroy are strongholds. A bit more difficult to destroy. You know, strongholds are in the mind. This is when a pattern has been built in the mind of somebody that, has now, that is now leading to behavior, self-behavior, self-regulated behavior that is destructive in the life of the person. Demons are not involved anymore. They finish their work. They are resting. But the behavior and the habit of the person is now keeping the person in the destructive situation. So you say somebody's addicted 
Please remind me, I'm going to talk about addiction before we go. Someone is addicted to something. How are they going to get out of that addiction? Someone says, oh, pastor, my, my husband is addicted to marijuana. I don't know, I prayed. I don't know what I'm going to do. I didn't say God is not answering me. Listen to me. It's not difficult at all for God to answer you. When he sees it, he will run. Just to know what you're doing in the area of prayer. Listen carefully. You confront demonic strongholds. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 to 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 to 5. Though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty in God. Stop there. They are mighty in what? They are mighty in what? First John chapter 4, verse 8. God is love. You cannot, so let's, let's change the equation now. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not walk according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are mighty in love. If you don't have love, you can't put down strongholds. So when you want to start pulling down thoughts and every imagination, then somebody's going to offend you. Even as I've been walking up around now, I've offended somebody. And you are going to pull down strongholds when you get home. And Satan is saying, you see, only, not, the weapons of our, your warfare are not mighty. They are only mighty in God. They're not mighty on their own. They're only mighty, come on now, in God. And God is love. So if you don't have love, you have somebody you're not talking to, you have somebody, you, strong ghosts will remain. Strong ghosts will remain. So watch out for that. I pull down the strong ghosts. The strong ghosts that make you go drive by a shopping mall. You don't even know it's a stronghold. He said, I just like to. You don't like to. Something is moving you into poverty. Just when you go to the wash, you go to the washroom. For some strange reasons, you go to the washroom. CNN, CTV, CBC, BBC, every kind of station, City Plus 24, they stop their adverts for you. You've gone to the washroom. Once you flush, you stop at the washroom. Then here comes the advert. <laughs> Here comes Robert. You see this woman dancing. Rakuten, Rakuten, Rakuten. <laughs> eh? like, I saved this Rakuten. She goes to her door. She puts an envelope. She says she's safe. Something she says to her. Ah, I like this thing. Then you go there. You start shopping. Above your budget. Then you wait. You know, Satan sends two people to you. You say, oh, I really like this. This is really nice. Oh, thank you very much. They were sent by the enemy. This is really good. It reinforces that stronghold. You go back home again. You go and look for two or three like that again. Keep on buying. It's a stronghold that kept people in your family in poverty, in insufficiency. It's keeping you there too. There are people in this country, they don't have houses. No house, no property, but they have clothes. They, they've gone on holiday. The Instagram page is full of pictures of different places they've been to. Then what else should we destroy? Listen, my brother. Please listen. If at least one of your parents, I know that four of your parents, I mean, both of your parents for you, but if at least one of your parents has any African, Caribbean, Indian heritage, you've got to listen to this. What else should we destroy? Demonic altars. I have to show you a bit of a mystery, but I will show you more of that on, on Friday. Demonic what? Altars. Demonic altars. 
you leave them, they have not left you. Someone said, well, Pastor, come on, come on with this thing, Pastor. This is, new. This is the stuff that we, we, you know, we read in books and all of that. Really? Pastor, someone said, well, Pastor, can, can you prove this in the New Testament? Give me two minutes, I'll prove it to you now. In Acts chapter 16? No, Acts chapter 13. Let's do it now, let's, let's walk through it. Can we walk through it quickly? Acts chapter 13, verse 4, verse 2. While they were worshipping, the Holy Spirit said, Separate unto me, Barnabas and Paul, for the work which I have sent them. Are you seeing that? Verse 4, being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Did you see that? Come on, is that, is that on the board? Being sent out by the Holy Spirit, right? When the, verse 8, they got to a place, okay, they met a man called Sergius Palos, an intelligent man. He wanted to hear what Paul wanted to say. But Elimas, the Sostra, Sostra is another word in the Bible for which? Sostra, which? Are you seeing that in verse 8? Then, verse 9 and 10, Paul confronted this Sostra. Did you see that, verse 9 and 10? Paul confronted, he said, he calls him the son of who? The son of who? Perverting the what? Straight ways. That's why you go for an interview, you say something, the person did not hear what you said. Because the airways have been perverted. Perverting the straight ways of the Lord. Then he judged him. Verse 9 and 10. Did you follow? Now, what is the ultimate result? Let's jump to verse 44. The whole city came to hear them. Verse 44. The whole city came together. What in the city? Whole city. Verse 49. The whole region. 49, 49. The whole region. See that? All of the region. It's gone from Sergio's Palace to the city. From the city, come on now. Because he dealt with the power of the witch. You see, he confronted the spirits. Are you following now? This is Acts chapter what again? Is that not a thing? All right. So Paul took this, but he didn't continue. So he went to another city called Athena. This city is called Athena. Today we call it Athens. In Greece, Acts chapter 17. And let's look at verse 23 and see how Paul did not confront the altar. So the Bible says, Paul said, The one whom you worship, no, let's start. Let's start from verse 20. Paul 20, yeah. Paul stood in the midst of Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that you are religious in all things. Let's go on. For I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship. And I found the what? You're not speaking to me. Are you tired? Are you too tired? Is this New Testament or Old Testament? I found a what? An altar. What was written on this altar? To the unknown God. Paul said, Holy Spirit already made me find the altar, but I didn't deal with the altar. So he, started, he continued preaching. He didn't do, if you go back and read the whole story, he continued preaching. He didn't do anything. Jump to verse 33 then. Jump to verse 33. Let's start from verse 22. Let's start from verse 22. Um, pardon me. 32, 10, 32, 32, because it's a long story. And so Paul was speaking. Then he got to the place where he said, he mentioned the resurrection of the dead. And what happens? Come on, What happened? 
the most polite of them said, we will hear you another day. That's what happens when you go for the interview. So I have some years experience this. I'm a this and this. I've done this and this. They say, okay, we'll call you for a second interview. We'll hear you another time. You make a business presentation, they say, oh, fantastic presentation. Some people ask you some strange questions. Another person say, oh, very good. I would like to hear a bit more on that for now. Then you go away. <laughs> In Acts 13, the whole city, Abby, yes. and the whole Thank you very much. Now, jump to, keep going, verse 33. Look at it now, verse 33. Paul now, he departed. This what happens. A man comes to you, talks to you, tell her, you know, I like you. Then suddenly you go back home. The altar in your family rises against the man. That why are you talking to a married woman? You are a 23-year-old girl, 24-year-old girl. But the altar says to the man, is a married woman. You, the man doesn't know, he can't articulate it, but just feel a sense of the excitement is not there. Then the man departs. The man departs. But you know, the Bible says a few joined him, verse 34, because God doesn't, never lives himself without a witness. He said, There are some people that joined him. So here, Luke is the one writing this. Remember, Luke has accurate accounts, he writes accurate, right? Look at what Luke, so Luke was trying to write. Luke said, some people joined, they believed. So he's trying to name this some people. He struggled. He said, there was this other guy called uh, Dionysius, Dionysius, the Aeropagat. Ah! So I'm struggling to find another man now. But he said, but there's another woman. Her name is uh, Damaris. Okay, so look, which other person joined you? You can't remember. Compare this to the whole city and the whole region. But when the altar is not dealt with, what you are playing with that you think is success is not success. You have your Damaris you're looking at. You have your Dionysius that you're looking at. But God is saying, I want to give you the whole region. That is why there is no book to the church in the 18th in the Bible. Because there was no church there. There's no book to the church in Athens. But there's a book to the church in Ephesus. But there's a book to the church in Philippi because the demon in that game was dealt with. But there's no book to the church in Athens. Friends, these altars have to be dealt with. They are there. They are there. If you have any heritage, these people have been the altar. And for some of us who don't need any heritage, there are altars that have just been set up to destroy your life. Where people are staring things up to make sure you cry. And they must be dealt with. Someone say must be dealt with. I need to hear you. Come on, say must be dealt with. Say it forcefully. Must be dealt with. These altars don't listen to modernization. Modernization, technology, they don't listen to it. You know why? Because the altar, and I don't want to get too much into Friday service, the altar is a legitimate ground for spirits to enter the earth and act as they will. The altar is a legitimate ground for spirits to enter the earth and act as they will. If you are the president of the University of Toronto, you have 
a 13 year old who is not yet supposed to be in the university. You're the president, and you're about to go and give a lecture in the hall to professors, very serious professors. You're about to go and give a lecture and listen to some, some things. And your 13 year old, your wife is traveled, and your 13 year old wants to really go, out, go with you. And you bring him. You're the president of the university. And then you take him to work. That 13 year old, I guarantee you, will sit where professors are sitting. Why? Legitimately. And nobody can chase them out. Because they've climbed on your own legitimacy. You brought them in. There are many altars that have brought these forces in. Legitimately. Those type of forces cannot be cast out. You can't tell the demon, go! Where? If somebody that comes to that 13 year old and says, What are you doing? Are you a professor? All he needs to do, your response to is that. That's what those spirits are doing. You say, Go! They point to the altar. I count. I'm giving legitimacy. So, what has to happen? God told Gideon, He said, You're a mathematical valor. Go in this strength of yours. It's God that told him that. He didn't tell him about the altar. So, Gideon was getting a bit excited. At night, God showed him again. He said, listen, go and take the second bull. He said, no, take a bull. First bull. Go to your father's household. The altar that is there, the altar of battle. If you go to the battle outside and you don't destroy the altar inside, you won't survive it. He said, destroy the altar first. After I destroy the altar, then God said, offer the second bull for me. So, some of you, your praise and worship alone can't do this thing. That's the second bull. But the first one, you have to tear down that bar. And you can see the men of the city came against Gideon immediately. Why did you tear down the altar? Because they knew that's the first. That is what they used, the steering of that up. Satan was realizing that if that altar can be turned down, they hold on the, on the, on the Israelites through the Midianites. It's going to go. Listen very carefully. The battle against the Midianites was one of the easiest. God told Gideon, he said, you would destroy all the Midianites as one man. Though they spread out like the sand of the sea. He said it would be easy. He said, we have 10,000 men. He said, no, you only need 300. Why? You've destroyed the altar. The effort you are putting in is too much. This thing is not supposed to be this hard. Whatever you are doing is not supposed to be this hard. If it's too hard, there's an altar somewhere that needs to be destroyed. But come Friday, as the Lord leave it. Every strange altar is coming down in Jesus' mighty name. This is the end of the message. We are sure that you have been blessed. For more information, please visit our website at www.houseofpraise.ca. God bless you.